there you go. Another piece. What does that give you, mate? What kind of feelings do you get from hearing that, the old Bolt Throw albums? A lot of nostalgia. <laughs> I wish I heard, I wish I actually heard that track first because if I heard that track first, I would have fell, fell in love with Bolt Throw. I think I heard the very first track on the album, the Slaves of Darkness album, and I just got turned off by it. But yeah, that's an absolute, absolute classic world eater from 1989 from Bolt Thrower. Uh, I thought I'd just do that for a bit of fun. Every time we do it like a podcast, we can throw up some nice 90s music through Lionel Records. Uh, yeah, because I think, yeah, after having rediscovered Bolt Thrower, it's just been my auto autoplay on um, uh, on the on the, either on YouTube or through, um, is it Audible? Um, yep. Yeah, I can just paint and listen to or that. Spotify or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Really, really classic one. So I hope people enjoyed that. Didn't didn't blast your eardrums out, but um, mate, how you been? All right. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, been working a lot, so now I've got some time off to catch up on painting. Awesome. What and, are you painting? Uh, uh, still gene steel hybrids and things like that, but um, I've also been following a video Minisode Ed put out on his channel Minisodes on YouTube, and he's. Basically got a second edition Warhammer 40k box set and he's going through the motions of painting them and doing little videos about it. And one he did was taking the original cardstock terrain and sort of uh, putting it on foam core um, and then doing it up a bit, you know, and uh, recommend people watch the video. It's fun. I, I did little uh, test sample and basically um, gives a more 3D shape to these little uh cardboard cutout terrain you get with the old box set so it was good fun to do yes now that's a good point because i think he's just joined our discord recently yep and we should give him a good shout out because yeah like his very first video was bloody outstanding mate wasn't it yeah really enjoy that good good um good video to watch very easy to follow along and clearly tells you what you need Yep. So you're doing the same kind of trick what he was doing, uh, basically reinforcing your cardstock buildings from second edition 40k with some nice foam core to bolt them out a bit and add some extra details and that kind of thing uh, exactly. to your buildings. Yeah. Yeah, and mine are, are pretty old, so it you basically end up sealing them, and uh, it it'll probably. Uh, guard them a bit against wear and tear over time even more so like you know these are pretty ancient pieces of cardboard i'm using <laughs> yeah I've, I've actually saw someone on the second edition 40k uh facebook group uh who had a new set of those um cardstock buildings and actually framed it in a picture frame to hang on the wall which is quite funny it's funny but like i get it you know like yeah 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 funny strange but like funny haha yeah like if, if i had some now that i've seen that i'd be tempted to do it <laughs> <laughs> uh so that's on the yeah minisodes is the youtube channel i will put a link in the show notes for that so go and support him in his endeavors to make some really good uh high quality uh content on youtube which is always nice to see and uh, hopefully that whole project that he's doing will continue into new videos and uh, he can build a whole library of classic second edition, maybe Warhammer, I don't know, but looks like he's on the right track. He's got some skills there. So good luck to him. 
So it's excellent. So what else is yeah. on the what else is on the agenda, mate, for news? Um, look, I pl- got to play a game of Warhammer Quest in the remote gaming channels um, with Chris and uh, yourself and Tim, and that was really fun. And I've got to say, like, I echo what other people in the Discord group say. I've never really survived a quest of Warhammer Quest before. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, but this time we did like a little intro game and I actually survived and it's a hard game. It's really fun to play together in a group, um, especially with like the remote gaming, um, especially when someone who's hosting it has lovely painted miniatures. So yeah, it was good fun, man. Yeah, I had, I had fun too. I mean, it was really my really first proper game of um, Wyma Quest and we had like, it was kind of like an introduction type of scenario like basically chris uh put a uh, host of the game he said look you know we'll play this adventure you, d- you take the dwarf I, I like i chose a dwarf um and then we had uh, table salt um which is timothy he, he took the elf and you took the barbarian and chris took the wizard because uh, it was just easy for him to manage because he had, like, the magic cards and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome being a cooperative game in that you don't need a GM. Uh, it's awesome that you have all the, the dungeon generated and the monsters generated through cards. I really like that. Um, so it had a lot of good things going for it. I mean, really glad to have the opportunity to play it. And I want to thank Chris again for hosting it. So we'll hopefully have more adventures uh, soon in the future. And a proper campaign. So we get to choose maybe some of the characters that came out through the character pack system. So you had like the the pit, the pit fighter, the troll fellow. The yeah, I mean, um, I think we should maybe draw maybe maybe crispy just like draw like just have all those names on a on a bit of paper and put them in a, a bag or cup or something and just draw them out and say, okay, you're gonna play this character. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm really tempted to play the Chaos Warrior because it'd be just nice to play something chaotic and um, sort of evil aligned in a party group rather than all the good guys. That's yeah, then you've got an excuse uh, to hoard those health potions and not share them when the elf Yeah, dying. that's right. Yeah, you could play in character, totally. <laughs> uh, I, I absolutely no idea what his special rules are, but I imagine that um, he would go something like Berserk or in a, like sort of like a Chaos Rage or whatever. And, you know, he's obviously like the, he's like the, the meat stick basically of the party and he'll just bash things. Um, but yeah, looks really have to wait and see. Uh, if you get the opportunity to play with him, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that looks really good. Um, it's been pretty cool watching uh, Man of War games as well, which I never, uh, when I was a young lad, never got to see in action, and they're pretty fun. Yes, been a lot of fun. Uh, this, of course, this month is Man of War month, which is wrapping up today because today is the 30th of May, uh, bringing to the end of our challenge for Man of War. And if I go to the Man of War section on our Discord group, uh, we've had some really good entries of people uh, posting up pics of their models. Any any particular standouts for you at all kind of fix through this month, mate? Man, there's been so many like really well painted stuff uh, like on across the forum, um, but Man of War wise. Um, the <laughs> it's funny you're going through like albert has done some really cool 3d printed chips that he modeled himself and painted they're pretty cool yeah um 
Really loved your your Nurgle ships. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's really good seeing Marcel um, post up some as well. And as as per usual, Captain Skyhawk stuff is legendary. Um, it's it's always surprising to see people's kids also getting involved and painting stuff and working on terrain. There's been a lot of that lately, and I think it sort of ties into young kids really like art and craft, like most of them, not all. But um, if you can get them making stuff like terrain, uh, you know, like you're putting your kids to work for free. It's great. Yeah, absolutely, mate. <laughs> slave labour. <laughs> How about yourself? Like any standout Man of War stuff that you saw? Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw, uh, is it, um, yeah, Captain Skyhawks. His ships look absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, you know, hats off to him. I think he he sort of wins kind of like... Um, in terms of like volume and quality of ships that he painted, I think he certainly comes off as first place. Uh, he's also got a nice picture of his, it uh, looks like a, a, a mat or table that he plays on with the, the cardstock terrain there as well to show up his pirate fleet. So, yeah, well done to him, mate. I think he did a really great job. I mean, everyone did a really stellar job in the end. Uh, we all got behind the whole theme of the, of the painting challenge and we came up with some really nice entries. Even if you didn't finish by the 30th, it doesn't matter. Just keep going, get your finishes, uh, get your ships painted like Albert's doing at the moment. Um, there's also a good link on here that people picked up for printing out your own cards because there were there were different uh, additions to the game. Some broke the game, some didn't. That added some really good additions for Man of War, such as the um, the War Magic for the Orcs, and they had like custom cards that you can give to your ships, that which which are basically like uh, Man of War cards. And how to print those in color. So Board Game Geek is a really good resource for that. So go and check that out if you're looking to print out your cards for your Man of War games. Um, so yeah, so long may that continue. I hope people really get behind Man of War because it is a really good game. I've had a few, I've hosted a few games myself now. I played a game again with um, with Paul today in starting our campaign again. Uh, so yeah, been a really fun month of Man of War. I really really enjoyed it a lot. Okay. Um, I was just having a look. Um, the Epic Space Marine section, Bri posted up some really cool uh, terrain that he's been like, I don't know if he made it himself or if he just got it, but with tiny little trees, very good to see. Always, uh, I've been on a real terrain kick um, recently and uh, seeing people making 3D versions of the card terrain for Mana War has been really mm-hmm. awesome too uh mm-hmm. including yourself i saw you doing some like uh little sandbars and, and islands and stuff yeah that, that was for Mana War mate so yeah i did those just for Mana War and make some 3d terrain because it only comes to comes to really nice td 2d terrain i should say like cardstock terrain which is perfectly usable for Mana War but you want some 3d terrain so i did yeah. that just for our games uh today and yesterday so uh, but yeah, mate, it didn't take much. Like honestly, it's like bare basic kind of materials. It's um, very minimal kind of um, uh, modeling supplies. Just getting some uh, pre pre made uh, textured paint. Yep. Uh, which has like a fine grit to it, and um, just getting some blue foam, like insulation foam, and just the the bases I use are like a like a hard foam styrofoam kind of thing that you nice. can sort of cut, sand, shape, and all that, which is nice and firm, gives a nice solid base, because I can't cut 
um, I can't get uh, like a, a jigsaw for MDF and that kind of stuff. So those kind of things are just out of my reach. So yep. um, having that really hard styrofoam base that I can cut and carve and that kind of thing makes makes a, a lot easier to make terrain out of. Uh, but yeah, I'm really into making terrain. It's good. It's good just to sit down and, and do some stuff because at the end of it, you know, you're going to use it in your games all the time, and it just makes the table uh, a lot better. Awesome. It's uh, it's good to have a community that you can sort of question and, and uh, yeah, propose sure. what you're going to do and get the feedback. Yeah. yeah, don't forget our terrain section because we've got a terrain section here on the on the Discord, a terrain workshop. Uh, yeah, go and check out those guys working on stuff because, yeah, they come up with some really amazing uh, bits of terrain every now and again, and they're quite happy to share their secrets of how they actually got, got it uh, done in the end. So... But anyhow, mate, we're going to move on to our uh, uh, like an announcement for the yep. um, giveaway. We're going to give away a brand new inbox Orc Scorcher from Second Edition. So, That's right. Carnifex, how can we win such a wonderful prize? Uh, I think the the best way is going to do it, you're going to do this is by explaining how a Scorcher for Second Edition 40k works. And um, I'd propose to do that in the orkiest way you can. Um, and you could make a video or audio file, an animation. You could dress up and, and, and make a video explaining. You could use some uh, orky looking blueprints, something like that. And um, yeah, try and figure out how a Scorcher works. And um, I think the best way to do it is if the, if the mech boy can explain how a Scorcher works um, and whoever impresses the war boss best is going to get that uh, item as a reinforcement. Okay. Sounds good, mate. Sounds so, yeah, good. just uh, I think um, it's we'll give you roughly like two months to work on that project and... Uh, Whoever can explain how a Scorcher works in the orkiest way possible is uh, going to impress uh, Josh. <laughs> yeah, I, I will we'll have to work out how we're going to judge it and who's, who's yeah. going to judge it and that kind of thing to pick a winner. But um, or we might we might bring it to like the, the top five and then we have it sort of voted on by the community. I mean, that would be nice too. Uh, but we'll see how we go. Uh, but basically, it's based, it's, it, you know, I thought it would be nice to tie it in with uh, October. So we're going to draw it in October and then send it out in that month. So to one happy orc player, I hope, or we hope. So, yeah, looking forward to doing that. So, again, thanks to um, the wonderful donation by Tom uh, to send that to me, Tom Young. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully it goes to the right right person who really needs it, that reinforcement. Hey, That's right. All right, buddy. Um, anything else that you want to cover this month that's happened the last two weeks anyway? I think, um, are we coming up to a, a Necromunda month soon? I'm starting to see pictures pop up of people's uh, painted gangs. That's a very good point, yeah, because uh, uh, Man of War is finishing up this month. So starting from the 1st, we're going to have a Necromunda painting challenge. If you would like to get part of, be part of that, uh, just join our Discord and get your models out, you know, take a photograph of your pledge, preferably unpainted models, but if you've got, like, semi-painted models, that's fine and say okay this is what i'm going to paint for this month and um get to it and you know post up your progress pics 
uh, you'll get some good comments and uh, feedback from other people there. And you can, you know, share in, um, and uh, what other people are doing. So that's going to run until the end of uh, June. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what people come up with, with their games. So it'd be really cool to fun and cool to see. And obviously cool to see people actually playing games with their painted games at the end. So are you pledging anything, Town Effects, for Necromunda, mate? Yeah, I might um, work on these two alternative model pit slaves that I got from uh, Hybrid Miniatures. So I'll post them up um, bare metal and see how I go in the next couple of weeks. Awesome, mate. Okay, we'll look forward to seeing your progress on that. And, um, yeah, keep us posted on what happens with the Necromunda painting challenge. So, guys, we're going to wrap it up here and we're going to go into an interview for this, for this podcast, which is with Matthew McLean. Uh, Matthew is from the Tabletop Miniature Hobby podcast. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough, to, or um, uh, fortunate enough, to be part of his podcast uh, a few months ago. Now, talking about his very first white dwarf, uh, actually on his podcast. So, I really enjoyed that. So, I invited Matthew back onto mine to talk about how he got into the hobby. So, I hope you guys enjoy our chat today. Yeah, uh, it'll be good. Yeah, but. Um, other than that, mate, thanks again, Carnifex, for coming to join with us, mate, to talk about what's been happening in the community. We'll see you on the next one. Definitely, mate. Thank, thank, thanks again and take care. Will do. Cheers, man. All right. So how did, how did it all start for you, though, like the Tabletop uh, Miniature Hobby podcast? Like, how, how did it all begin? Uh, the, the podcast itself or, like, uh, you know, my own sort of hobby stuff? Uh, well, we'll look at, do, do the podcast first. And, just, yeah, how did that all originate? How did it all come together originally? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, I, was, I was basically looking at um, just different uh, media hosting platforms like different podcast platforms and um, I came across Red Circle which the, the show's hosted on and thought just test this out you know let's do um, I, I always toyed with the idea of doing some um, sort of delving and nostalgic hobby content so uh, I thought let's just let's just grab a couple interviews with, with podcasters that I, I listen to um, and see what happens so I thought maybe I'll do three or four episodes and just see how it goes but I really enjoyed it and uh, just I've just kept doing it. Um, I'm on average getting episodes out every couple of weeks and I dare say there'll be periods in the future where that might increase and it might decrease based on just life getting in the way. But um, yeah, I've had um, Nathan from the War Games Orchard, I've had yourself on, I've had Dan from Paint All The Minis on. So I like getting podcasters on because um, you're more likely to have a, a decent recording session, aren't you? <laughs> well you'd think so but my my recording setup is is very very basic terribly so but um yeah that's interesting mate all right so so delving back into the past now uh and we sort of touched on this when uh i was on your podcast we looked at your first white dwarf so how did you actually initially get into the hobby yeah i think um i think it was i was sort of a nine and uh, we were on holiday down in England and we were in this shop that did um, 
just all sorts of wee gifts and stuff like that. But they had uh, they had the Citadel combat cards. Don't know if you ever had a deck of those. Um, the, the old combat cards. It was like um, you got a deck, and it was the ones I got were orcs and goblins. So I was totally unaware, you know, what universe they came from, or what you know, you, you don't really think about that when you're when you're that small. But I just really liked the aesthetic, like the look of them. So managed to talk my mum into buying them for me. Um, and played played about with them for a couple of years, I think. Um, and then one day, because I, I was looking through them and you've seen things like Snotlands, and I thought that was really funny, really cool at the time. And then was in a news agent's a news agent, sorry, a couple of years later, and just randomly chanced upon a, a white dwarf magazine and was flicking through that in the shop, and lo and behold, in the catalogue pages was uh, Snotlands. So I, I put the joined the dots together and thought this is kind of the same thing and it and I could actually buy these like models. So again managed to talk my mum into buying me the magazine. Not that day, but you know, I hassled her enough that we went back and got it. And uh one of them where you're just kind of pouring over the, the pages of White Dwarf. And um I think it was around that time I got the the Battlemasters game. So that was like the 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 rank and flank but boxed game rather than Warhammer. So I think it was kind of the same idea as Hero Quest, where Games Workshop had worked with. I don't know. Was it Milton Bradley? Was that the company? Yep, Do you Milton know? Bradley. Yep, that's the one. So yeah, so all uh, lovely monopose miniatures um, uh, on wee trays, and that was great. You know, played that for a few years before finally one one birthday managing to get Warhammer itself and um, Warhammer Fantasy Battles. I always get confused with the editions, but I think it was third, the one with the Elves and the Goblins. No, that's uh, the fourth edition, mate. Yeah. Fourth edition. Yeah, I always always get mixed up. Um, I, I bet my listeners shout at me if I have any. Um, <laughs> but yeah, got that. And and fortunately had a you know, a wee group of pals. Um, we all kind of got into it. I can't remember if I was the first or maybe my friend had Hero Quest and he was kind of the first. But anyway, we were getting together and playing playing games, not quite properly, but the main thing was we were getting the miniatures out and just rolling some dice and, and doing a really bad job of trying to paint them. So, um, yeah, got really got really into it in my childhood. And like you hear so many people saying, you know, you get into your teens and, and especially your late teens and it just kind of drifts away for a wee bit, which happened. Um, and then back in adult life a couple of years ago, just always, always had that wee thought at the back of my head, like maybe I'll, maybe I'll just get back into that. And I, I obviously, I didn't know about, um, I didn't know about Warhammer being uh, ended, and the new games that they had these days. So I just kind of thought it would be the same in the Games Workshop. But when I had a look in that, I couldn't really, I just couldn't get into it. And then uh, when you start looking online, you find that there are actually um, communities ongoing with the old games, the old models, the old aesthetics. So that's kind of where I've landed. And I've no real, I think like yourself, Josh, I've no real interest in the modern stuff. Um, no disrespect to anyone that does, but it just it doesn't do anything for me. So, Yeah, mate, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because like, you know, I've always, in retrospect, always look back at the 90s and look at the catalogues and white dwarves. You see a bunch of young kids in those game switch-up stores, don't you? You're like all wiring and all that kind of thing over the demo tables and that kind of thing. But, you know, if I look at something like the Warhammer World event uh, this, this, this last weekend, celebrating the Horus Heresy release and that kind of thing, the whole 
you know, the whole demographics change big time, isn't it? Like there's no young kids in stores these days. It's all kind of 30s to 40s to 50s kind of thing now, isn't it? I, I mean, I, I'm curious about that myself because I've not been in the shops um, much, if at all. Um, you know, a couple of times in the past few years, I've nipped in to buy like a paint or something. But um, yeah, I certainly didn't go in there and, and see anything akin to the old photos that you used to see in White Dwarfs, like you're saying, like just uh, loads of kids with the, with the bowl cuts because it was like 93 or whatever. <laughs> um, and the big baggie of last jerseys. Uh, that was definitely my look back in the day, but um, aye, curious to, I don't know if it's a, and I've, I've kind of done a lot of stuff on the, on our, on our podcast, like had a lot of conversations about that. I just don't know if it's a competition with other, other um, interests and hobbies these days because the attention economy has never been so powerful. Uh, the pool of computer games and, and online interactions has never been so powerful. So I don't know if it's that or if, there are still those bubbles out there um, where young folks are really in it and I've just not come across it, which is entirely possible as well. Yeah, it's really weird, isn't it? Because, like, you know, I think that now Modern Games Workshop, there ain't a lot of kids in those stores now, mate. I think they're basically being sucked up by computer gaming and Games Workshop is sort of just hanging on <laughs> with every limb they can of all the, also, you know, the, the, the generation that was there back in the 90s and 2000s and that kind of thing and hanging on to them as they're kind of the new customer base they're sort of targeting now aren't they they maybe got professional jobs they've got probably large incomes maybe they're single and they have a lot of you know expendable cash to spend and all this kind of stuff yeah money must be a huge factor as well like i'm def i'm not saying it was a uh, it was cheap back in the day obviously like i, I had many uh Many a, a, a sort of, not argument with my mum and dad, but trying to explain <laughs> to them that for this tiny box of plastic guys, you know, this is good value because uh, obviously they were they were paying for it if it was a birthday or something like that. But um, you wonder now, you know, if you were a kid going in there, that the prices are, are eye-watering even to, even as an adult with um, a wage coming in, you think, oh, I don't know about that, you know. Um, I mean, I, I'd be frightened to, to know how, much it would cost to build a an army for any other games. Um, I'm assuming you're talking well into the hundreds. So uh, again, that must that must be a huge factor. It'd be very easy for a a parent to talk a kid out of it uh, and just say, you know, can, can I not just get you? I mean, you even get like Warhammer computer games, don't you? So maybe they could just say, I'll just get you this computer game instead. That'll be better. And uh, if the kid's not totally bought in at that point, they'll probably be more than happy with that. So, yeah, I, I dare say the price is a, a big issue too because a lot of younger folk, Games Workshop is, is what they'll come across first. They won't uh, they won't know to go online and, you know, start looking at the, the miniature companies that, that we kind of look at these days or the second-hand markets or stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting time, isn't it, in the hobby? I, I don't know. I in one hand, I can't see exponential growth in terms of you know, younger generations coming through. And, you know, you touched on Battle Masters before, yeah, which is, you know, of the three signature titles that came out, Space Crusade, HeroQuest and Battle Masters. They were a massively commercial successful games workshop because not only did it enable them to access 
miniatures in some kind of board game or um, like almost like a tabletop simulation, like a war game. But it allowed them to, you know, secretly put in those, you know, little catalogs or those little uh, addresses to say, hey, you know, send away here to Nottingham in the UK. We'll send you a painting guide and that kind of thing to get their foot in and to recruit all these young players into the hobby. But I just don't see that now. And it's really weird. eh? It's like a really weird transition. I just don't see many young people. And I'm talking like, you know, 16 to 18 year olds um, getting into wargaming. Maybe that's my just my very narrow uh, tunnel vision perspective here. Maybe that's that's the case. But I just I just find it's all like 30 to 40 to 50 year olds uh, playing war games now. Yeah, I mean, I, my my perspective is the same. Um, and like you, I, I can't trust that fully because I, I'm so like, I know almost nothing about anything. So I, I'm just in this tiny <laughs> corner. So I, I could be totally wrong. But yeah, in my own experience, um, which is very limited, then that, that is the case. And I just, I'm always curious. I know they, I know they brought Hero Quest back recently in some form or another. I wonder what impact it would have if they if they remade the TV advert or just put the old one on. Uh, again, even things like that, you know, people as far as I know, they don't really watch linear TV anymore. So I don't know how many people even see television adverts because it's just sort of Netflix and Prime. So yeah, wouldn't be it wouldn't be quite the same journey for them nowadays, I suppose, if they if they wanted to tap into that. But um, I think they they do make um, somebody was saying on on my show that they make uh, some kids books or something like that. Games Workshop. I've never checked that out before, but probably true. But uh, aye, that's an interesting angle, I suppose. Yeah, it's just it just seems like it's a it's a future where it's very unpredictable, especially for a lot of people wanting to, you know, get into like making their own, you know, having starting up their own company or whatever uh, as to who their target audience is going to be. Is it going to be like mm. the young kids trying to get them into something? Maybe board games have repl- replaced it in a, a lot of ways. I think board games have just been massive um, commercially uh, since Kickstarter came about. You see so many Kickstarters coming up with board games Maybe it's more of a family orientated thing where you know the father buys the board games for the for the family. There's so much choice now. Whereas, you know, in our in our generation, <clears throat> you know, you went to the the toy store or the department store and basically what you saw is what you got. And that was it. But now it's totally different. Maybe board games are replacing our tabletop war games in in a way. Yeah, it's a good point because, like you say, I think I think like you've said, there board games are are huge um, these days. You know, they've potentially never been stronger um, of an industry. And uh, even when you go into sort of conventional shops, you will see some some really cool stuff. You know, unconventional stuff. It's not just your monopolies and and things like that. Like you'll see some. Uh, I got a couple. Um, last year and one of them escaped from the Dark Castle. It's not a miniatures game, but it's it's very similar to the old fighting fantasy books. So you've got these cool old looking illustrations and you're you're going through this um well Dark Castle as the title says and you're just fighting monsters and things like that. So um board games like that, you wonder, you know, if if a young person got into that, that potentially is a sort of gateway into maybe getting into the miniature stuff as well. Um, and then I, I suppose you could even look at popular culture, like 
I was never a D and D player, but Stranger Things, the, the TV show, <laughs> had quite a lot of references to it. And I wonder again, um, I'd expect at least some people would have got into D and D through that, and by proxy got into miniatures. So we'll take we'll take what we can, I suppose. Uh, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because like I came through from the Hero Quest generation, as many people did in my probably my age group at that time, which included miniatures and a board, something totally different and completely different to anything I'd ever played before. And that sort of got the ball rolling as to, wow, you know, they're miniatures and, you know, these wonderful looking designed, you know, there's, there's fa- it's fantasy. It's not Monopoly. It's not, you know, all these really common um, big commercial kind of games at the time. It was radically different. And yeah, that got you know that got me into wargaming as many and into miniatures and painting and that kind of thing. Painting miniatures, uh, as as many people I suppose would share that same story. So it's really weird, hey, because like you know now we're probably seeing the same kind of thing. Maybe with the Hero Quest Hasbro release, maybe that will spark you know people into finding more about miniatures and miniature wargaming or just tabletop gaming generally. Yeah, it's a funny kind of cycle we're going through at the moment. Yeah, and, and again, you look back at um, the opportunity for somebody to get into it in, in the 90s or the 80s or whatever, like when, when I, one of those wee catalogues you talked about that came in, HeroQuest or games like that, made it into your house or your bedroom or your first copy of White Dwarf or you know any copy of White Dwarf. I read those things till the, the covers were coming off them. You know, mm-hmm. I poured over them because back then, like the the biggest bit of technology I had in the house was the Commodore sixty four. I didn't have uh, access to the internet, so you wonder, you know, even if these um, even if these things you get them into somebody's house, they maybe only look at them once, if at all, because there's infinite possibilities on the internet, you know, for all sorts of entertainment. Um, so it's it's a tougher challenge for the hobby, I think, but. Um, Nah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out over the next few years. Mm, yeah, absolutely, mate. So what what kind of games are interesting interesting to you or are you interested in at the moment? So I'm playing a bit of Rangers of Shadow Deep um, by Joe McCulloch, who's best known for Frostgrave. So miniature agnostic um, skirmish game, fantasy skirmish game. Um, but me and Robert have been playing... Uh, Rangers of Shadow Deep because it's a kind of solo slash co-op game so we decided to start a wee campaign on that and it's been great we've we've done a couple of episodes on the podcast just talking about how we got on because we're learning the ropes with it but Joe's game systems they're just really good um, I know it's a much oversaid or overused phrase but the, the the easy to learn hard to master but I think that really does apply to his stuff Um so we're able to pick it up pretty quickly, still making the odd mistake, but um, worked our way through a couple of scenarios so far, and we're just trying to get together to, to play the next one. Um, and then we did a we did a game of uh, Song of Blades and Heroes as well. So I really like that one as a introductory game. It's, it's very, very simple. Still fun, but very simple. Must apologise, by the way, my, my daughter. This yeah, is an ongoing yeah. thing. With, this is an ongoing thing with me in podcasts these days. But she's, uh, she's not happy about something yet again. Nice atmospheric background music. Very good, mate. I know. I, I should just me. play a cassette with that. 
<laughs> but um, I Song of Blades and Heroes uh, is a really good game t- to pick up, especially if you want to play with somebody who's just never done a miniature game before. I think that's a really good introductory game. Um, Open Combat's another wee skirmish game that I liked. Um, so I've played that a few times. So yeah, I'm quite into the, the smaller scale stuff. And um, I've been tentatively building some armies in 6mm because I'm interested in doing like a scaled down version of Warhammer-esque games, basically. So um, just because of the sheer room that you need to... Like, I, I know you play a lot of Warhammer Fantasy Battles, Josh, so you got a big 6 foot 4 table set up. Yeah, mate, got, yeah it, just sque- it, it just narrowly squeezes into this room that I'm playing in. Yeah, <laughs> and where, where did you actually did you did you make the table out of multiple tables or what? Like, or did you manage to buy one of that size? It's really weird because in Japan they have really odd sizes for their sheets of MDF. So I had to I had to get like two two big sheets and ha- ask the guy to cut them into certain sections, mm-hmm. uh, which he did. So I got a four by four out of that. You know, combining two sheets together, two two by four sheets, and then I fa- I had some offcuts, which I sort of glued together and, and sort of managed to get another two by four sheet together. So it's got a, it's a separate piece, which works well for me because, you know, with my room set up, it's, it's not, I, I haven't got a dedicated space to have like a six by four table. Unfortunately mm-hmm. in Japan, we don't have garages. The garage is kind of like um, one of the things, I don't know about the, about the UK, but in, in Australia, it's almost like a guaranteed thing. Like if you move into a house or you rent a house or whatever it might be, you're always going to have a garage, a single single car garage or double car garage. But in Japan, mm-hmm. they just do not exist. If you do have one, you're incredibly rich or wealthy or whatever. We're very fortunate. You have enough land space and enough money to build one. Uh, so all our gaming is done inside, inside our rooms and that kind of thing. So I don't have really a big enough space. But happy yourself, mate. Do you have room to put a big table in where you are? No, definitely not. No, but um, up at my work, I've got a decent sized desk and um, i think it's four foot square so it's not quite the six foot four foot so if i go up there with you know an hour before we're planning to play i could clear everything and set everything up and at least you know i don't i don't have to clear it away that night um because I, I that thought always scared me you know if i've set it up in the house and it has to be totally put away that night i'm thinking oh that's a that's a big task so I'm always curious, like if if you had the table set up permanently, would you just leave the terrain on it and stuff like that? And then would you maybe just put like a sheet over it to protect it from dust or like how would that work? Uh, I've done it before and, you know, I've just let it, I just let it set up. I didn't put a sheet over the top of it, but my terrain is actually put into their own sort of separate containers, their own sort of shelving units that I've got here for my terrain. So if I did have something set up, it would be only for like a couple of days, for, ex- mm. for example. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave it set up permanently. Now, if it was like that when I had a dedicated room just to have a, a table set up, yeah, I'll, I'll probably have a sheet covering everything uh, to keep the dust and that kind of stuff off it. But um, yeah, I mean, we can only dream, can't we? Yeah, that's the thing. Like if you had the the big house and you get the the proper room with a huge table and stuff like that. I think that's kind of what attracted me to to the six mil scale. Um, just thinking about like, could I make? I, I talked about it on a recent episode, but could you almost make like a travel Warhammer? You know, like uh, I've got this 
got this mat that's like 30 mm. inch by I don't know 25 inch or something and I'm like you just need like 12 six mil regiments which basically have the same footprint as a, a decent sized 28 millimeter scale miniature so you don't need much at all and I know I know people like their 28 mil and I do too but um, just to, to scratch that itch of the mass battle, I think I think it could be done on a coffee table if you go to six mil. So, yeah, mate. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, I'm temp- I, I would love to. Actually, I'd like to play a game of Warhammer with six mil miniatures. I, I enjoy Epic as just a scale like six yeah. mil scale anyway. So yeah, you know, I play a lot of that in uh, 40k with Epic. So I'd love to see it in uh, Warhammer. That'd be great, but. I saw some guy on the old hammer community doing something very similar, but I think he was using, uh, quite, don't come me from here, but maybe 10 mil or 15 mil, but he was actually basing individually basing each miniature and mm. then basic. Yeah. Like doing a very, very similar thing, playing third edition Warhammer, but scaled down into like a 10 or 10 or 15 mil scale uh, war game having movement trays and that kind of thing or everything individually based. And it seemed like a really cool idea. I like that. I like sort of shrinking things down. I suppose we're into miniatures because we like small things anyway. I'm always attracted to something that's really small and find it very interesting. But um, yeah, yeah, it's the- a rebellion against the scale creep at the Games Workshop. <laughs> Wait, let, let's, get, let's go smaller. And they're like, no, well, you know, in 10 years, this miniature is going to be bigger than you. That's yeah. the way they're going. So maybe it is maybe uh, you know for my eyes i think the the bigger the better basically because for painting and that kind of thing yeah i, I like quite a large model to work with um mm-hmm. the, the smaller stuff is really hard to to sort of pick out the details and that kind of thing so i'm very less fussy about those those girls but on the opposite spectrum with, with regards to time uh you know i can knock out a six mil you know unit of or detachment or something like that in a couple of hours you know what i mean like it's really easy just to knock out a whole army out in the weekend if we're weak need be so i like that aspect to it as well yeah and with it, this x milk stuff as well it's more um it's more the look of the army isn't it than the look of the the single miniature on the the b base like um Nobody you would hope would be scrutinizing the, the the miniature one of the miniatures itself. It's more like how does this army look on the table when it's all put down? Yeah, I, I think you know, for like 40k, you know, like second edition, I I never played a lot of it back in the 90s, but Epic I played a lot of and I really loved it because of that, you know, that that's the the scope of scale you get when you look down and see all these little miniatures lined up. Um, there's something about that that scale that really interests me and um, yeah, just captivated me for so long. Um, yeah. And with a great rule set to accompany it as well, that probably makes a big difference, but yeah, I'd love to see Warhammer played on a, a much smaller scale. I was actually hoping that we're going to do that with the, um, the old, the new old world Warhammer game. Mm-hmm. That bring out. I was really, really hoping they're going to bring it in a, like a tiny scale, like six or 10 mil. Uh, I'd be really keen to see what that would be like, but uh, unfortunately, they're going to go back to uh, 28 mil, <clears throat> which um, yeah, in, in quotation marks, 28 mil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes makes sense. I mean, you know, they're a miniature company; they're going to sell bucket loads of miniatures uh, with their with their game systems that that 
you know, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, you know, wall mask is a good alternative to that. You've got, I, I sort of dabbled that, dabbled in that one about in the, in the year 2000 when it first came out. Did you ever play Warmaster? No, no, I was kind of away at the time. So um, it's only a game I've heard about retrospectively. Yeah, but was that six or 10 mil? That was actually 15 small. mil. Was, was 15 it 15? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why they that's a funny that scale. To piss um, people off, I think, maybe <laughs> to, <laughs> to make something really unique or a scale really unique. I don't know whether they started with 15 mil and other companies did 15 mil after. I'm not really sure. I don't know about the history of that, but I, I would assume that went from 6 mil to 10 mil to 28 mil. And then they thought, oh, well, bugger them, we'll do 15 mil just to screw everybody over. Because maybe 15 yeah. mil was just not a, fa- a favored scale at that time. But I don't know. I'm just guessing that. It's um, like IKEA making their own, like they, they sell you a wardrobe with it. It's got like a tool in it that you've never seen before. Like nobody owns it. Like they've just. That's right. They you can the only market. put it together. Yeah. You can only put it together with their yeah. gear. As far as I know, I, I don't build the furniture. My wife's much better at it. <laughs> so I just, uh, I just uh, go away and have a cup of tea. But yeah, Warmaster. Yeah, try Warmaster because I, th- I reckon you can play it at any scale. I don't think it's, yeah. I don't think it's you know, solely a 15 mil game. You can mm-hmm. play it in 28 mil using Warmaster rules. You can play it in 6 mil, 10 mil, whatever. Yeah, yeah. you should knock that around, mate. Let's have a look at that. You probably find a real cheap copy somewhere on, you know, secondhand market, and that's all you need to get started. I think it was just basically just one rule book. That was it. So, I enjoyed your. Uh, I've enjoyed your um, Epic Space Marine episodes because that was another box that I went on to to own when I was wee, and uh, it was one of those um, packages that made you feel like you were you were really rich because of the amount of troops in it. So like you're used to not having many miniatures and I was really wasteful with the, the stuff in it. Like again, never played it properly. Used to set the cardboard buildings up and just sort of piss about with a wee bit. But um, I was really wasteful with the miniatures because it seemed like I had so much of them. So I used to make these rubbish little dioramas and stuff, um, you know, gluing them into like little bits of scenery and just because it felt like you had loads of stuff, um, which you did, it was just tiny. So yeah, mate, it was the best set. And Rick Prusy went on to say that, you know, it was the it was the like the blueprint, like basically this set, basically this box set was the predecessor for all the other box sets that came after it because you know it had all the miniatures in it, had the scenery in it and all that kind of thing, all in one box. Um, which became so successful that they said, okay, we'll do that for Warhammer, we'll do that for 40k and and so on and so forth. Um, so we got we got Epic to thank for that, Epic Space Marine second edition. Um, because if I remember correctly too um, they had like Space Marines, Orcs and Elder in the the box yeah Um, weird like to put three different armies in it I I don't know what do you know what the reason was for that probably because they had I think they already had the miniatures made for the first edition Space Marine the first edition Space Marine had just Space Marines in it and rhinos and land raiders although i'm not an expert I, i've never played the first edition of space Marine, but I, i'd imagine they had those models already made and tooled up and that kind of thing and then later they introduced rules for eldar and orcs and that kind of thing through first edition space marine so they had all the they had all the um they had all the the models made 
and tooled up and everything. So they probably thought, okay, we've got so many of these sprues, we're just going to chuck them in the box. So people have a choice of three different armies. They can try them out and play them, you know, with their friends or whatever. And then they've got the ideal starting basis for their collection. Uh, and that's how we looked at it too, because I think I took the Marines and my friend Chris, he took the Eldar and the Orcs. And then we just bought the, at that time you could buy an entire uh, like Orf, Orc Battle Force, I think it was called, and the, um, or Orc Horde, I think it was. And Space Wings had their own sort of battle box and that kind of thing. You just bought so many miniatures in one box. It was just amazing. So we, we really latched on to Space Marine because it was the cheapest way to get into playing wargaming. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we never regretted it, mate, because I think it's still one of the best games ever made. Yeah, and a much more accurate depiction of that world as you imagined, or that universe as you imagined it. Like, when you saw the illustrations in White Dwarf, of forty k or whatever, it was it was massive, like massive scale, and obviously when you do it in twenty eight, it, it's just a skirmish. Like still still great, but you can't deny it's just a skirmish. Uh, whereas if you're going epic space marine, you really can do that, like massive scale titans walking about skyscrapers and just hundreds and hundreds of troops as well. So yeah, that's 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 exactly right because. Yeah, 40k offered that wonderful, you know, 28 mil skirmish simulation, if you like, uh, which you didn't really need a lot of miniatures for. I think for Road Trader and uh, for a second edition, which is good. It's one of the one of the bonuses about that. But epic, yeah, epic. You know, you look at one of the John Blanche illustrations, those black and white um, drawings he did in a lot of those uh, epic Space Marine or other white dwarf publications that he made you know he really you know made these kind of scenes that uh, felt epic in 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 a sense you see there's you know the, the massive scale of the titans in the background and and the, the the troops the marines or eldar whatever they might be in the foreground and it brought this massive uh, battle scaled um illustration and, and uh sort of image in, in you know in your mind and you could really play that out with playing epic you probably couldn't get that sort of sense with 40k and all the sort of modern iterations of uh, apocalypse or all those kind of you know, large scale titans just doesn't really look the same. Uh, I was talking to someone else about that as well through the week. You know, all those 28 mil scaled titans and that kind of thing for the modern 40k. It just looks mm. really weird on a six by four table. You know, almost need like a 20 foot by 10 foot table to make it better you know what i mean or play it on the floor or outside in the garden or whatever um yeah i didn't even know they did them you'd be almost you'd be almost better just dressing up as a titan yourself (laughs) physically like stomping about um oh like that idea great (laughs) cosplaying i think they call it i'm cosplaying as a as a titan and i've just accidentally stood on your um unit of troops (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's um yeah, I mean, you know, and I think fantasy can be used in the same sense. You can get that grand scale of commanding a huge army on the tabletop just by reducing the scale. And um, do, do you come across companies um, making stuff for Epic Space Marine, like sort of modern style stuff or, or stuff that they're still producing, like unofficial miniatures, if you like? 
Yeah, there are a couple of companies, quite famous ones. Uh, Vanguard Miniatures is one, and they produce a lot of six mil stuff based on Space Marine Epic. Uh, so the names will be different, but obviously if you look at the, the models themselves, they're, they're clearly based on the early second edition designs and that kind of thing. So it's Vanguard. Oh, I can't think of the other name, sorry. And I'll have to put it in the show notes for people because they'll know they'll be screaming at me saying, oh, you bloody idiot, you should know these ones. But yeah, there's two main ones. I think they're all operated out of the UK and they make mm -hmm. resin models and they base it, you know, they've, they've extended the ranges from second edition all the way through to 40K. Like you've got Sisters of Battle, you've got, you know, uh, dare I say it, Necrons and the, um, uh, what's the other one's called? Awful looking alien things. Oh, the Gene Steelers, the Tyranids. No, no, Gene Steelers are great. I like those. No, the, what what are the other ones called again? They look like they look like aliens. Um, because you got the Necrons, which are like the you know the the T one hundred Terminators, and then mm -hmm. you had the other guys who look like they're out of space, like they look like Japanese kind of um, yeah, aesthetically. Oh, the Tau. That's I it. Now, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So all those kind of sort of modern iterations in, that were sort of you know put into 40k, integrated into 40k. They've got those mm -hmm. designs now, and you know, Epic's been around for a very long time. So it's it's been through you know Epic uh, 40k and Armageddon. Uh, so they've tried to you know expanded the range to encompass all those systems. And all the different races that take up 40k as well. So, yeah, mate, you, you know, you're probably living the best time now to get all your epic stuff um, from, you know, various manufacturers, whether they be in resin or metal, um, and all the different kinds of armies you can get. Yeah, it's yes, it's maybe now. I'll need to dip back into that at some point in the future once I once I complete my current goals. Um, because again, there's so many good companies out there doing really good, like new, new old stuff. If you like, like mm. uh, I've heard you mention Nightmare a lot, and I really like them too. I think I've spent a fortune there over the last couple of years. Um, Die Hard is another company I've bought from a lot. Uh, CP Models, Midland Miniatures. I think these are all UK based. Um, other World Miniatures, I think as well. They they've got an exceptional range. So. Mm. Um, if you go on any of their, I apologize to anyone, I've just cost them a fortune because I've seen up <laughs> on any of those. It's uh, it's one of those, suddenly you've dropped like 80 pounds on, uh, on a couple of things. So uh, apologies in advance for anyone who've just uh, spent their wages. It's like pulling notes out of their wallet. Mate, that's that's what you're doing. But that's, um, that's why that's why my daughter just constantly cries because she's got no inheritance. <laughs> I've, uh, I've just got loads of unpainted miniatures, which are totally useless to her. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, hopefully one day might should be playing games with you. That's for sure. That'd be good. I will hopefully. Yeah, we'll yeah. start. We'll start with. Uh, we'll start with the old song of blades and heroes, nice and accessible, and then uh, maybe a bit of shadow deep and uh, a bit of frost grave, and we'll work our way up. We'll, we'll end up with a big, big six by four table. Covered You're screaming in, even uh, louder now, so she must have proved no, that. She she yeah. she obviously hears me. Yeah, she's like that. <laughs> Not having any of that, Dad. You loser. <laughs> right, we're going to take a quick break because uh, Zoom is running out of time here. 
But um, have a quick refreshment, <laughs> check on your daughter, and we'll be back in just yeah. a second. All right, what are we going to talk about? So we, we talked about Epic. Um, so that's that's a good that's a good scale to to venture into, especially for people who don't have a lot of money, right? Because you know it's expensive, especially if you if you want to start collecting stuff from the nineties. I mean, mate, Chaos Dwarves. Like I saw you when you, your 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 profile picture on your podcast is a Chaos Dwarf, plastic Chaos Dwarf. How many of those yeah. you got there? No? How many how many yeah, you collected? shamefully i stole that from my three-year-old nephew <laughs> so, <laughs> when my when my brother when me and my brother were younger my brother uh he had some chaos dwarfs he had the uh, the centaur as well which is sadly gone missing somewhere broken into pieces yeah. um but i was uh i was over at my mum and dad's one day so i'm sitting on the rug and my my nephew's got this old box of lego that used to be my brother's and uh, he's just pulling bits and pieces out and we're playing and he pulls this uh, monopose chaos dwarf out and i'm like oh i'll uh, I'll, I'll i'll just look after that and i slipped that into my pocket so i had to get home and painted it up um so yeah stole it from a three-year-old child that's uh it makes makes me makes me not very proud but you know i, I like to think of him um, put, put a bit of paint on it and uh, give it a bit of fame on the front of the podcast so well, you can always give it back to them. You can give it back. Yeah, and, and watch them destroy it. You could get uh, Warhammer Quest or Talisman. I think Talisman had a character, right, yeah. character in it. I, yeah. I've, yeah. Got a, I've got a cool Chaos Dwarf that I bought from one of the companies that I mentioned. It might have been, might have been CP models I got it from. So a little two-headed sort of Chaos Dwarf guy. Hmm. Um but when you put them next to the the monopose chaos dwarf, the guys are actually big, like for being dwarfs essentially. Like they are quite they're quite tall models, I find. So and they're very bulky as well. Mm. It's almost like little balls, aren't they? Yep. <laughs> balls of love. <laughs> if you want one of those armies, mate, you mate, you're gonna be paying through through the three teeth, basically. Uh, yeah, my brother my brother had the uh, so he had a box, a box of monopose chaos dwarfs. He had the book, hmm. um, so the army's book, like a, a, if I remember correctly, it was like a yellow cover. And the guy on the it was a centaur, wasn't it? A flying bull centaur, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. And he had yep. he had that as well. That was one of them as well. I said to him, because he was he's a few years younger than me, so I said at the time uh, to him. You know, I, if I paint this for you, it might look a bit better. So he let me paint it. Um, so I kind of tricked him. I used to do that on the Mega Drive, you know. If you let me do this level for you, I might do a better job at it. So he, he fell for things like that back in the day. So I got to paint the Centaur. Yeah. Um, and I remember it being really satisfying to paint because it was just a big, you know, lots of red on the skin and stuff like that. I was doing it at a basic childlike level, but satisfying. Ah, it's a classic model, that mate. I got you got to paint one of those too, actually, for somebody as a commission. It was really good, it was really, really enjoyable to paint that, actually. So they're going for a fortune these days, I take it, mate. They're just yeah, because because they're so rare. Because people didn't really like the Chaos Dwarves back then, and they weren't a very popular army. So mm -hmm. surplus of miniatures, um, much lower in comparison to all the other armies. Yeah. So Aye, that's it. Uh... Yeah. 
But yeah, if you if you're lucky, if you really want them, you know, prepared be prepared to pay a lot of money for it. But if you can find them in like a big army lot or whatever, but um, yeah, if you've got if you got one and if you're actually holding onto one, yeah, hold on to it because it's probably going to be worth an absolute fortune in the future. So yeah, but all the all otherwise you can just find an alternative. Uh, 10 for 6 mil or 15 mil cars to find me, which there are. There's some 3D printing options out there, which are amazing. Uh, what's it called again? Uh, uh, what's, what's that company called again? There's a company out there who do a really good range of, uh, I think they're 15 mil mm. uh, miniatures for 3D printing, and they actually print them out for you as well. I think they're called Excellent Miniatures, but I'll, I'll leave it. A note i'll leave a, a link in the show notes anyway uh someone got me onto those through our discord and i checked them out and they look pretty cool because they they've got the same aesthetic as the 90s basically all the same yeah. sort of style um so they're basically the same miniatures just being you know just reduced down and shrunk down into um 10 or 15 mil and uh, yeah i'll have to check that out that yeah, said uh, yeah. I both have and haven't to check that out because if I do, it could be financially disastrous for me. <laughs> well, the good thing about it is they actually have a printing service, which is great because half the problem with the printing thing is that I don't have a printer and I don't really want to get one mm-hmm. um, for a couple of reasons. But, yeah, it's just nice to have some service where they say, yeah, you can get these prints and we'll print them and we'll send it to you. And Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really great idea. So, I've seen a lot of that on Etsy because I, I bought um, some terrain yeah. on Etsy last right. year and there's just so much on there now that's obviously 3D printed. But again, I, I'm always um, dubious as to whether the images you see represent what you're actually going to get in the in the package. But it looks it looks amazing, like a lot of the stuff that people are doing. Um, yeah. I could just yeah. imagine like if you owned one of the printers, you just you get drunk one night and just print like <laughs> 40,000 things. And then wake up the next morning. I don't know. You probably wouldn't wake up because you'd be poisoned with the fumes. But um, <laughs> just, just creating more and more work for yourself. So I, uh, you'd have to have good discipline, I suppose, if you owned one of these things. Yeah, like when we were talking about the other day, like you know, um, putting out arms and backpacks for Marines. Because you, know, you, you know, when you go in the secondhand market, you know, you buy all these models, but they don't have the arms and backpacks and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, printing all those out is just ideal. I mean, um, people are actually, you know, making those, you know, replicating the, the same models or scanning them in or whatever. Um, yeah, that, that, that as a resource is just invaluable. So, you know, I, I totally embrace that kind of part of the 3D printing world. I think that's excellent for uh, things like, you know, your, your stuff that you're buying now for all those old miniatures that maybe having you know, difficulties finding parts and that kind of stuff. Um, you can print them out. That's that's really invaluable. Uh, things like the Man of War sale, the, the masts and that kind of thing. You, know, you can get the ships, but you won't get the masts. So you need to mm. get the masts and you can print them out. Uh, things like the battle wagon, orc battle wagon, you know, don't spend 300 pounds on eBay to get one. Uh, you can print one out. It's been scanned, you know. Uh, those kind of things they're plastic kits anyway so that you're basically getting the same almost you know the same thing uh just being printed out in resin i i I find myself mainly 
or almost always buying metal these days because I just I can't be bothered with the plastic kits. Like at least back in the nineties, like when you opened the box, the the miniature itself was in sort of one piece. Like you maybe have to glue a shield on or that. Yeah. Um. But I got a. Uh, what was that I got? It was just like COVID hit and everything was about to lock down. And I thought, let me just let me just buy a couple of boxes to paint whilst all this blows over. So I, I actually ordered modern games workshop stuff. I got um Necrons, which you'll love me for. <laughs> um but you you like you like the yeah. fact I hated them so much I, I sold them like a week later. They were just absolutely torturous to put together. And I thought they looked pretty poor as well. Yeah. Um, and I got the, the Chaos Marauders, which I think they're older miniatures. I mean, when I say older, I think they're maybe 20 years older that, but they're still on the go. Um, and they're all right. But um, I just, putting every arm on and like, you know, every head, and I know that you could get cool, unique poses and stuff, but I just find it a bit arduous. So I like, I like just um, whipping around a metal model with a file and tidying it up and sticking it on a base. And that's me halfway there. So I much prefer that. And I find you get better looking miniatures in the metal as well. So, mate, you're a man after my own heart. I feel totally 100% because, I, like, you know, I did Infinity for a long time and then multi part miniatures just drive me absolutely bonkers, mate. Mm-hmm. I can't, mm-hmm. I hate, I hate doing it. I just hate doing them now. Um, and just that feeling of, you know, when I first got my set of Bugman um, miniatures, Bugman dwarf miniatures. Hang them all in one piece, and I just, you know, like you say, just fire around the edges, take off that mold line, put them on the base, spray them, paint them. And the other thing you need to attach is a shield. Oh man, and, and just the, the the feeling of painting those miniatures is, gives me such incredible joy. Uh, much, much more than having to paint any of the modern stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something, there's yeah, something the- about those old miniatures that has such great character that, that they just can't capture that in plastic. Aye, and the, the, I find them quite, again, they're, they're brilliant models, the new ones, but I find them too busy. Mm-hmm. And you look at a, a regiment, of, you know, whatever it might be, swordmen or, or knights or anything like that, they're all doing their own thing. And, you know, there, there's just so much going on. And it, it, it doesn't doesn't please my eye um, as much as when you're just staring at um, 30 high elves holding the same spear and the same shield, <laughs> staring the same way. I just like that aesthetic. Uh, and it, again, it's very accessible as well. If you're wanting to build units, um, grab a box, put put the guys together in, in, in the same day um, and have them undercoated. But now it's just building them such a huge, huge task. It's enough to put me off them. Yeah, mate, I totally, totally uh, sympathise you with the air because I've got, some, I've got a commission to do for some uh, Ada Sigma stuff. And yeah, putting them together is not fun. <laughs> not fun indeed. So, yeah, but that's just the way things are. I mean, I was thinking the other day, I'm sure there's there's generations of gamers who got in through Games Workshop or whatever who've never never had a metal miniature, who've never seen one, and their only their first contact with miniatures have been plastic miniatures, multi-part miniatures they've had to put together. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that's just a generational thing, yeah? Um, and, you know... Looking at the stuff they're doing now for Horus Heresy now at Games Workshop, really nice looking miniatures, uh, all multi multi part plastics. Um, but you know, that's just the that's that's just the time we're living in. Um, you know, 
we've we've had the luxury of having all that all those lead models back in the day. Uh, it's a totally different industry now. I suppose the the one positive of the plastics is I'm I'm pretty clumsy. Like I tend to knock stuff over and that, and the plastics very forgiving. Like I, you'd be yeah. doing well to chip the paint off them, but like it, sometimes with the metal models, it's like I've just I've just touched it the the wrong way, and suddenly there's a bit of metal shining through. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to have to go and repaint that. So um, again, that's just a mixture of my clumsiness and lack of ability at actually painting the thing properly in the first place. But uh, I I do get the fear. When I'm I'm uh, putting a lot of metals on the table, just uh, to see what happens to them. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Because you know, like you, you get sort of um, snobby about things because you know, like for one of fantasy, yeah, it has to be all metal. You know, even though I've got some plastic models in there, of course, my cabinets and stuff, but it has to be all metal. But then, epic, it's all plastic. You know, it's like nine, mm-hmm. it's like ninety-five percent plastic and five percent metal. <laughs> yeah it's that's really a good point it, yeah it goes in your head i don't know what it is it's it's obviously a very psychological thing mm-hmm. but there's something about it you know that you know certain things fit in certain holes if i can put it that way yeah like the, the, but yeah. The, i was just going to say the six mil stuff that i've got is very hard to clean up like it's metal um so it's little strips of miniatures it's, it's oh. it is tricky to clean it up um so I think that scale lends itself to plastic. Again, always the caveat that I know almost nothing about making a miniature or whatever, but feels to me like that scale lends itself well to plastic. But if you're going bigger than that, um, I like the metal just for the simplicity. And the heft. Yeah, aye. Yeah, the heft. I feel like okay. there's actually something on the table. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a really unique thing, isn't it? Like... But then we can get attached to plastic miniatures too. So it's a really strange thing. I don't know what it is. It's just in our nature, I guess. I don't know. As gamers or collectors. Um, yeah. So we can appreciate many different things. I can appreciate epic miniatures. People think I'm nuts because they think, well, what's really all that fantastic about them? They're very, very simple models. But I can really appreciate those. But I can appreciate a Jez Goodwin Skaven model, for example, or an Alan, uh, Alan Perry or Ali Morrison uh, dwarf or in, in, uh, empire model. So in the mm-hmm. same way. Yeah, but I don't know. Anyhow, mate, it's been really fun talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much again, Matthew, for coming on and talking with me today, mate. Yeah, thanks very much, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity. Like I said at the start, big fan of your show. Listen to every episode. Uh, they, they are a good accompaniment to my my painting. So I keep up the good work. It's a great podcast. Right, likewise, mate. I've enjoyed uh, listening to your uh, podcast ever since I found out about it. And I'll leave links in the show notes for people to go and check it out because you should go and check it out, what Matthew's doing there. Uh, with Robert in uh, what they're doing on the um, the Tabletop Miniatures Hobby Podcast. Uh, it's Bedroom Battlefields, isn't it? Yeah, bedroombattlefields.com. That's the website. And yeah, Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast, the most boring podcast name in <laughs> podcasting. It's the but, one you, uh, you always forget to you always forget to know what your podcast uh, title is. <laughs> so boring. So boring. I can't even remember it. <laughs> I should have called it the Chaos Dwarf, Chaos Dwarf Hour or something like that. I'll maybe change it. Maybe change no, it. don't change it now because you, you just remembered what it is. Yeah, I know. You rattle off perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> now, Matthew, you get back to your little daughter there, mate, because, um, yeah, she's probably hungry. 
and uh, we'll get we'll get to ch- catch up again hopefully in the future. Yeah, brilliant. I let's uh, let's get together on on my podcast in a, a wee while, and we'll have another wee chat. Yeah, that'd be great. I will look forward look forward to that anytime, man. Cool. Thanks yeah. again, Josh. Okay, no problems, mate. Take care. See ya.